Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Meet the Artist program produced by, by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. Today is Thursday, April 12, 2012, the opening of Program 7. And I'm happy to see you here tonight in the War Memorial Opera House. My name is Cheryl Osola. I'm a writer for San Francisco Ballet and editor-in-chief of Dance Studio Life magazine. And I would also like to welcome our online listeners. Many of our interviews are available via podcast at our interactive website, sfballet.org. And you'll also find all sorts of other great things there, like videos and photos, and the company's blog, Open Studio 455. So those of you who are fans of Yuri Posakov's ballet Raku will be happy to hear that the CD of the score, composed by Shinji Eshima, is now available for purchase. It was recorded by San Francisco Ballet Orchestra at Skywalker Ranch last April, and it was just released a couple of weeks ago. So you can buy it on the website and in the gift shop on the mezzanine level. And now, please welcome my guest tonight, soloist Garen Price Scribner. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Garen, and then after the interview, there will be time for your questions. So Garen was born in Arlington, Virginia, and he trained at North Carolina School of the Arts, Maryland Youth Ballet, Boston Ballet School, and San Francisco Ballet School. He was named apprentice in 2003, became a corps de ballet member in 2004, and was promoted to soloist four years later. He's danced major roles in many, many ballets, both classical and contemporary, and including quite a few by George Balanchine, whose works you'll see tonight. Some of those are uh, Jewels, Square Dance, Stravinsky Violin Concerto, Symphony in C, Theme and Variations, and The Four Temperaments, which you'll see tonight. Outside of San Francisco Ballet, um, in 2009, he toured Germany and Poland with an ensemble directed by former San Francisco Ballet dancer Matteo Klemeyer. And in 2010, he created a role in Klemeyer's Ballet Stufen uh, in Cologne, Germany. And last year, he graduated with honors from St. Mary's Leap program. So, in Program 7, Garen dances in the Four Temperaments, fondly known as the Four T's. Um, and this ballet, which was created in 1946, was absolutely groundbreaking. It's the first of what's now um, very familiar to audiences as Balanchine's black and white ballets, or those that are typically done in, in practice clothes, just leotards and tights. And um, one of the things that was so innovative about this was that um, he really played with line using flexed feet and doing absolutely unheard of things like putting a woman on point with a bent knee. Um, and those things are very commonplace now in contemporary ballet, but back then they were big news. So it, it was such big news, in fact, that in 1999, Time Magazine um, named it one of their best of the century, and it was the only dance that they included, and I think it was a hundred um, things that they named. So, um, so Garen, you dance two parts in this ballet, uh, themes one and two, so what can you tell us about the ballet and, and maybe how these two parts differ? Sure. Um, 
I dance, I actually do the first and the third theme this time around. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Um, the first theme is, um, it's a pas de deux and it's a couple, when the curtain comes up, the couple's already standing on stage. And um, it's very, it's very angular. You see the first foot flex in the ballet, which is, um, as Cheryl said, one of the sort of iconic images that the Four Temperaments conjures. And um, it's, it's very stoic and angular and beautiful. The third theme is a little more lyrical. It's a, it's a longer pas de deux. And um, it is more um, fluid in um, look, I would say. And when did you first learn those parts? Let's see, uh, I learned the first theme, the first time we did this when I was in the company. I don't remember when that was, maybe 2005. And the third theme is new for me this year. Oh, okay. So, so in coming back to, to um, the one that you just learned more recently, or the first time, um, what's, what's different in coming back to it? Are you, are you approaching things differently? Was the ballet master who worked with you taking a slightly different approach to anything? Um, I think whenever you come back to a ballet that you've you know, at least seen before a lot. I grew up watching The Four Temperaments and I was trained by Melissa Hayden who was a ballerina with New York City Ballet. Um, and I think with, with every return of a role that you've done or a ballet that you've been doing, um, you become a little bit more relaxed on stage, a little bit more confident and comf comfortable with the movement, which is really important to um, sort of surpass just learning steps and just doing steps and then you sort of transition into a place where you are expressing yourself and your own artistry through the movement. Um, so that's been nice to experience this time around for sure. I think the first time you do something, you're nervous and you really are thinking about the, um, the physicality of it more than you're thinking about the expression and the artistic um, energy of the role. So if you had to create a spectrum of your favorite Balanchine ballets, where would this one fall? Probably in slot one. It's actually one of my favorite, it's actually my favorite Balanchine Ballet, I would say, for sure. Um, and I remember seeing the first theme in particular on those old videos and the sound stages that they used to do. Um, and watching that first theme with the, fr the first move you see is Daniel Davison will be doing the part tonight and you just see his hand unfurl and he offers a hand to the girl. And um, it's just one of the most beautiful, the, the first note of the orchestra strikes as soon as he offers the hand. And it's just a beautiful, simple, mo simple moment that um, I'll never forget and it's a real pleasure to do every time. Yeah, one of the interesting things about this ballet too is that it starts very small and it seems to end very big, but it's really not a large cast. So it's, it's just, it's, it's bigness comes from somewhere within it and, and the way Balanchine uses the stage. So one of the other ballets that's on the schedule for tonight is Scotch Symphony, which you mentioned um, you had worked on with Melissa Hayden at right. um, um, North Carolina School of the Arts, yep. correct? Yeah. So th this, is, this is a ballet that San Francisco Ballet hasn't done in, in a little more than 40 years. And it's, sadly, it's, it's, a, it's rarely done. Um, and I think that just speaks to the depth of Balanchine's repertory because this is really a stunning ballet and it's very unusual. Um, so I, I'm curious to, it, it seems like an unusual choice for a teacher to 
work with her students on, and I'm curious True. to hear about your experiences yeah. with that. Um, I think, well, Melissa did the role herself, so um, I think when, any, when anybody's had a role that they've danced in their career, anybody who's a director or a repetitor, um, creates a special bond with that work and with that role, and it's much more natural for them to share that role and to teach that role for them. Um, so that could be a reason that she wanted to do it. We also had a um, sort of campaign while Melissa was there that uh, Susan McCullough, who was the dean of the school, I was there, um, they had created this campaign together to do, I think they wanted to do 20 Balanchine ballets um, in a period of 10, you know, 10 years or something. And which is a hard feat considering we do a lot of, we did a lot of classical work. We also had an entire modern department. And so, um, and before Melissa died, I think, I want to say six months before she passed, they did their 10th work. Um, and they wanted, I think they were all chosen because she had had a special part in each of them. So um, that could have been one of the reasons, but it's just a beautiful work and the music's incredible. Um, yeah, I just, I think you'll really enjoy it. Did you get to perform it then? Yeah, I did. I performed what, what, it. What role did you do? I did. Uh, we, we had a lot of guest artists, alumni, come back to do the principal roles. So I did one of the two boys, the two demi-solos that you'll see this evening's performance. Yeah. Great. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with soloist Garen Scribner. Um, so you, you have a tendency to get involved in, in things that are sort of designed to help change the world for the better. Um, when you were in the LEAP program, you went to South Africa I and did, you yeah. worked with students through an organization called Dance for All. Um, you've participated in several AIDS walks and now you are a spokesperson for an organization called Get In Front, uh, which has a benefit performance coming up on June 6th at the Herbs Theater. So tell us That's right. about the organization, how you got involved, what the show is going to be like, sure. and how they can buy tickets. Yeah, thanks, Cheryl. Um, the Get In Front campaign is the media arm and uh, sort of um, online campaign for the Cancer Prevention Institute of California, uh, CPIC. And uh, I got involved with the organization because the CEO, Sally Glazer, and I met at a, ba at a ballet function, actually, and found common ground on um, science and research. My father is a physicist and uh, has dedicated his entire life to research. And uh, she was telling me about the work of CPIC and how incredible it was and um, the, the types of studies that they've conducted all around California for a number of years. And um, I really became inspired with the work that they do because it's a cancer organization that focuses on prevention. That's their main goal, is to find what causes cancer, who gets cancer, and why, and where, and how we can prevent it. So there are a lot of great cancer organizations out there, um, and, but many of them are cure-oriented rather than prevention-based. Um, so that's what I really resonated with. Um, a lot of people in my family have been affected by cancer. And um, with 90% of cancer being preventable, and one in two getting cancer in their lifetime, that's the number that we're looking at, the time is now to get in front of the disease. So um, that's sort of how I became involved and I really wanted to make a big impact and um, help raise funds, but most importantly awareness, so that people learn about these pretty simple steps that we can all take to prevent cancer. Um, so uh, along with soloist Jim Sofranco, who's a good friend of mine and another really talented dancer in the company, we conceptualized this performance. Um, 
And we started calling other dance companies around the Bay Area to see if they would um, donate a performance. So we called ODC, we called Lines, um, Robert Moses Kin, Margaret Jenkins Dance Company, Axis Dance, Smewin. Um, of course, our first ask was for San Francisco Ballet. And this would just be dancers in their off time contributing a performance. And Helgi Thomas has been incredi incredibly supportive, as well as Glenn McCoy and Tom Flynn. And so we have this performance, it was on June 6th, and it's um, a coming together of dancers from all over the Bay Area, contributing a performance, they're donating their time, and uh, all the pro proceeds go to CPIC. So um, tickets just went on sale yesterday, so we're very excited about that. Uh, we sold 250 seats in 24 hours. So there are 900 seats there, so if you want to come, you should get a ticket now. Um, and those are available at www.getinfront.org. So that's a little snapshot of what I've been doing there. And judging by Garen's Facebook activity, he's put a lot of time into this. So, um, just to kind of change gears completely, um, a, a maybe little-known fact about Garen is that he and J-Lo kind of have a connection here. Um, Garen actually did a commercial for L'Oreal with J-Lo, and I'm not saying that he was like a backup dancer. It was him and J-Lo. So tell us about that. You caught me off guard here, Cheryl. I didn't know you were going to do that. Um, so yeah, I did a commercial with, with Jennifer uh, Lopez in October for L'Oreal Paris, and it was a completely random uh, opportunity that came about. And um, they called, actually, the ballet and asked if they could see me, because we were actually on tour in Orange County at the time. And they asked if I could come in for an audition, and I had no idea what to expect. This is the only company I've ever worked for. I've been with San Francisco Ballet since I was 18. I've been here nine years now. And so I went, and they saw me, and they said, um, okay, we'll call you. Two weeks went by, nothing happened, so I forget about that. And... Uh, they called me on a Tuesday and said, okay, you're booked, we'll see you at 6 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> I was here. <laughs> so um, I said, okay, and I jumped on a plane and went and did it, just took one day, but we spent about 16 hours working together and um, it was a really great experience. She was very, very nice, very professional, um, incredibly beautiful and uh, fun to work with, so it was a good time. <laughs> so who, who did the choreography for that? Uh, that's a good question. Liz, Liz Imperio. Liz Imperio. And she's actually on K-Viva. That show K-Viva now? I just caught it on TV the other night. I had no idea. And I was like, oh, there she is. Um, I don't know how much of the choreography Jennifer actually did of hers, but um, she, there was a choreographer there. So she did her own thing. <laughs> so is this something that you would like to do again? Is sure, call me. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> It was fun, but I, I don't know about making a career of it. I prefer the, um, I, I prefer performing in opera houses and um, creating new work like that. It's the commercial world is great, but it only offers so much um, fulfillment. I would say. If you go on YouTube and search it, you can find a little promo for it, and Garen's doing push-ups. So. So uh, we're you know, closing in on the end of the season here, and we've got Don Quixote coming up, which I hope most of you will come and see. What, what are you doing this year in Don Quixote? I'm doing the Gypsy King in the second act. Um, I'm also a Toreador, and do I have any other roles? I think that's it this time around, yeah. 
And that, that's a fun ballet to end the season with. It's so it's upbeat great. And, and fun. And is it sort of a relief to, to get to that after the wonderful heaviness of Onegin and, yeah. and Romeo yeah. and Juliet? Yeah. Um, you know, doing a full-length ballet is always great and very rewarding because we work together as a team to sort of put together um, this fantasy and really, you know, tell a story with our movement, um, which we're really lucky because we get to do a lot of both. Some companies just do story ballets and some companies only do contemporary and neoclassical works. And San Francisco Ballet really has this incredible mix of things. So when we do get to, to do a full-length ballet, it's really, really fun. Um, you know, I think we feel like a team coming together and really working and um, making sure the comic timing is right, the comedic timing is right, and that the drama's there and the excitement. And um, I mean, with these dancers and the people who put together this production, it's just um, an incredible experience and I, I think it shows. Um, what, what else have you done this season that, that stands out to you in, in any way, whether it's just the experience of that rehearsal process or a particular role that you found, you know, reward in? I love doing um, new work. So I think that's one of my favorite things being in this company is that we do new work all the time. And Helgi's finding choreographers from all over the world um, to bring here and uh, work with us. So I was in both of the premieres, uh, Ashley Page and the Liang. Unfortunately, I had an injury that took me out for those two weeks, so I didn't get to perform them yet. But, um, you know, doing new work is definitely close to my heart. I, I love working with these choreographers and, um, you know, sort of putting my personal stamp on the work that they're creating. I really enjoy that process. So those two things really stand out for me. Um, I love doing Wayne McGregor's work, and we did Chroma again. We reprised that ballet, uh, which is really fun. And, um, yeah. New work. I love new work. And next season, I believe, we'll have a new work by Wayne McGregor. Which That's right. I was going to say that, but I don't know if it was announced yet. Yes, it has yes. been. Yes, we are doing a new work by Wayne McGregor, which is very, very exciting and special for us to have. So, Great. Well, um, I would like to open this up to all of you now. So if you have a question, please raise your hand. The question is, what does uh, dancing Balanchine mean to you? Is it, do you feel restricted by it at all? Is it just something you really enjoy? I really enjoy it. It's, um, you know, it's debatable what I'm about to say, but Balanchine is not necessarily a technique because Balanchine was classically trained and Melissa Hayden used to say that this is not any special technique, this is classical technique. And when Balanchine created, he was creating works that had all different styles and all different themes and, and you know, different dynamics. So for me, I would say that it's not restricting at all to do a Balanchine ballet. And there is, is no one way that he had them use their hand, that his dancers use, use the hands or, um, you know, any particular thing that he asked for. I think what he really was looking for was, a, was an energy and a dynamic in um, the movement that, um, you know, each ballet brings, a different, brings out a different um, element, I would say. So I don't find it constricting at all. Um, we have Bart Cook here who, who set 
uh, the four temperaments, and he's said it before as well. Uh, all over the world, he does it. And you can see in the Balanchine dancers, the, his dancers, and Bart was one of my favorite male dancers. I watched so many tapes of him. You can see a certain something that they've had from years of working with this genius, and it really is more of an energy and a, um, and a dynamic that, that is not constricting, and it's not technique. If that makes any sense, I hope so. I'm sorry. I, I'm not sure what you mean by wording, other than they. I mean the the balancing the Balanchine Trust um, oversees all the production of all of his ballets. So what that means is that if a company wants to do one, they have to get permission. They have to have a uh, a stager who works with the trust who knows that ballet intimately, work with the company to set it. So, you know, you can't just decide that your company with 40 poorly trained dancers is going to do a Balanchine piece. It doesn't work that way. Yes? What will be the repertory at the Get In Front show? Well, I can't say just yet because it's not confirmed, but I can tell you that um, we have eight different companies confirmed, eight different uh, groups of dancers from different companies all over the Bay Area, which include Margaret Jenkins Dance Company, Zukov Dance Theater, Axis Dance, Smuin, San Francisco Ballet, Lines, ODC, and Robert Moses Kin. Are you dancing? I'm not dancing, no. Yes. Okay, we had two wow. questions in there. I already yeah. forgot the first one. Um, <laughs> right, okay. So, so she finds Balanchine's choreography, choreography particularly beautiful, and can we say why that is? What do you think? Because he was a genius. Because he listened to the music, and he used to say, see the music, hear the dance. So he, along with, I would say, I'm put them in the same category, that Mark Morris sees the music and, and expresses what he sees. Um, now, let's see. The two questions kind of run together because if the Balanchine Trust goes, I see what you mean, that there's no organization or group that's putting, keeping together. The thing about dance is that it's not so easy to note, notate. Music has a very complex, I mean, a very easy system to identify and how to remember and how, to, how each musician can play the piece. Dance is unique in that it has to be passed down like a trade, like um, an artisanal trade. It's, it's not something that just can be recorded. Cheryl could probably um, you know, provide more details about the certain, sort of notation that we do have, but it's, it's just not the same as being passed down from person to person. Um, yeah, I, I think that you don't need to worry because it is being passed down and, and they will continue to pass it down, trust or no trust. I don't think the trust is going anywhere. Um, and notation is, is really valuable and it is used. There are written systems, but they must be interpreted by someone who knows what they're talking about. You can't just hand it to someone and say go. So, yes. Non-work related, when you're not dancing in, 
What do you do on a day off? Well, I, uh, I spend time with my fiance. I uh, walk my dog. I go to the gym, because we still have to work out on the day off. Um, go to physical therapy, take care of my body, rest a little bit. Um, but for the past year, my Mondays are filled with get-in-front meetings, so I'm working on my projects outside of the ballet as well. Garen's dog's name is Pilot, and he's sort of famous. Yes. Are Balanchine's ballets all neoclassical, or are some of them modern? Um, is neoclassical, uh, would you define it as a period or as a style in this case, Cheryl? Balanchine is considered neoclassical um, in, in that he, he has modernized classical technique to some extent in terms of style and, and, and you know, extension of line, that sort of thing. I, I would not call his ballets modern at all. Um, when we use, we don't use the term modern usually with ballet, we will use the term contemporary ballet, and that to me will, will connote somebody more like um, uh, Wayne McGregor, um, somebody doing much more uh, abstract work. We would maybe refer to the first piece that you're going to see tonight, Divertimento number 15, as more neoclassical, and Four Temperaments wouldn't, actually would be more modern than that, just because it's more angular, more... Um, dissonant in ways. Um. Yeah, and Four Tees was also made at really a very um, prolific time in modern dance, too, so, so you might modern see Modern art, that. actually. Yeah. We were just talking about Messine's original costumes for the Four Tees. The four tees. Right, and what you'll see also in, um, in Scotch Symphony is in the second movement, uh, it's a real throwback to romantic ballet, so you'll see that influence too. Ba ballet, ballet is just not static, so you will always see a little bit of movement among styles and periods. So, yes? How old were you when you started dancing, and when did you know that this was it for you? I was, um, I was actually an ice skater before I became a ballet dancer. And um, I was really competitive. I was you know, on the ice at five in the morning and then I was out of school early. I was seven years old. And uh, someone from the Washington Ballet saw me and recommended to my mom. He said, uh, she, he said that I would be um, ideal for ballet, ideally suited for ballet, and um, maybe go to the audition at the Washington Ballet. And uh, I went and I, I was given the part of Fritz in the Nutcracker. So I started then when I was seven. Um, I sort of stopped dancing for a little while and did sports and things, and I came back to it when I was 12 because my older brother danced. And um, at that time, 12, 13 is when I really started training seriously, and that's when I decided that that's what I wanted to do and um, that's the career that I wanted to have. Yes. The question is, is, you know, why is dance notation more limited than, say, musical notation, and, and how does video kind of fit into the picture there? So maybe that is what happened, is that 
notation before video became so readily available, um, notation was more um, important to develop. But then video came in, and we do use video for every ballet. So we record everything from rehearsals and dress rehearsals to performances for archival purposes. And I think um, you know we now mostly use video, and we also have a ballet, a repetitor who was in that work originally, or work with that choreographer to be there. So that could be a reason that we sort of just overlook notation in some ways. But for some people, they use that more. Like for example, for Winter Dreams, um, the repetitor from the Royal Ballet came, and he used notation. So. It's, it depends on who's coming to do things. Also for Onyegin, um, that, that was a notated score. Uh, and, and video is important, but it's also important to remember that it's, it's a two-dimensional thing, showing a three-dimensional form. So it doesn't show everything. And it also records errors. So sometimes mistakes get passed down as the intention of the choreographer, which is not true. Uh, last question. The question is about the, the upcoming um, show, Forget in Front, and how difficult is it for all of these disparate groups to work together to make this successful? I think that all of these groups who, a lot of these companies have never come on one stage together to perform, and I think they're hungry for it. I think as a community, um, it's been a long time coming that we come together and do something for a good cause. We all perform separately in separate theaters and um, we really don't have much of a dialogue. So I think when we reached out and asked people to be involved, they jumped on it because we all have a common thread which is our interest to prevent cancer. Um, it's something that affects all of us. And um, so I think that's what's, what's really bringing people together. And dancers have, we have our own language and our own sort of um, camaraderie, and it's, it's going to be, I think, very, very easy to, to work together on that day. All right, we are out of time. I would like to thank you very much for being here tonight, and please thank our guest, Garen Scribner. Thanks for having me. And enjoy the performance. Thank you.